funny. Speaking of hit me with your best shot. If Pandora's box is a box of chocolates, would I know to stay away? What's that? Pandora's box is a box of chocolates. Would I eat them anyway? Cause every time I have half a mind to leave you, babe, that means I have half a mind to stay. It's Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Good evening. I'm Mike Perini. Pandora's Lunchbox is a is a is a song about food. No, it's not. Pandora's Lunchbox is a show about food. So when I heard that there was going to be a production in town called Patty Hearst the Musical, I said I have to get this information on the show. And the food references will come later if there are any. Well, there just happened to be some later on, but okay. I mean, really, Patty Hearst the Musical. So it's coming to the Blackbird Theater, not this weekend, but the next, Friday and Saturday, January 23rd and 24th. This is going to be essentially a fully staged reading of a production, a self-produced production by Barton Bund and the folks at the Blackbird Theater in Ann Arbor, which is on six, is at 1600 Pauline near Stadium. It's going to be on Saturday, January 23rd and 24th at theblackbirdtheater.org. Now, we could do a six-hour show about Patty Hearst and her kidnapping in 1974, but I'm going to read, just to get things started, what it says, what, what the Blackbird Theater says. In 1974, Patty Hearst was kidnapped by the Symbionese... Leb- Le- you know, it would be help, be help if I am able for to read. Patty Hearst was kidnapped by the Symbionese Liberation Army. Six weeks after her abduction, she robbed a bank. She shot at police. She became an urban guerrilla. So this is the production, Patty Hearst the Musical. Was she guilty? Was she brainwashed? There was a movie in 1988 about it. Well, that just goes to show. Back in 1974, it was the talk of the country. What was the Symbionese, Symbionese Liberation Army? There's so much to talk about, but first of all, let's start with Barton Bund, who has co-written songs for the production. He has been involved with the Blackbird Theater in Ann Arbor for quite some time, and I talked to him just the other day about what's going on with the production of Patty Hearst the Musical and dealing with a musical to do with Patty Hearst and the Symbionese Liberation Army. Where do we begin? Basically, you've got an angry group of people. You've got a very angry group of people who are angry about the state of, um, the, you know, they were angry at, at their president. They were angry, and it sounds kind of familiar, actually. Mm-hmm. I think that after Bush was reelected, I think a lot of people were very angry. And so I, I was thinking, we were, we were, I mean, this theater was very political at that time. I mean, we were picking, you know, we were we were digging deep and trying to find stuff about the war and stuff about Blackbird Theater was very. The Blackbird Theater yeah. was trying to get um, to say something about about the state of affairs, and so. Um, um, this story came up again for us after we finished my first musical, The Glob, in uh, 2006. We were sort the of Glob. the Glob, which is based <laughs> on the Blob, and that was that also had its own political edge to it about a government-created um, monster that took over a small town and could, oh, okay. could also take over the world. And uh, so it was a, it was a metaphor for a lot of different things. I mean, people mm-hmm. people looked at it as a metaphor for uh, the AIDS epidemic, and people looked at it as a metaphor. I mean, it just it just sort of had all these other political you know things connected to it, but it was also kind of kitschy and, and fun, and, and you know, it was a kind of dirty dancing era <laughs> musical. And so after that was done, we were all sitting around and saying. 
wow, that was really fun. You know, we, we had a we had a great time doing it. And so we said, okay, I had a I had a couple other ideas floating around, and I thought of the Patty Hearst story, and I think a lot of people thought it was silly. And then a couple of people said, no, that'll be really. The first thing everybody said was that'll be really funny. <laughs> and it's not like a, a story that you think of as funny, right. but the circumstances are kind of so unbelievable that it is funny. It's surreal. Yes. It was surreal. It is surreal and unlikely. And mm -hmm. it's almost, am I going to say, I mean, is it almost, there's almost like a, I wonder if people perceive it as almost a Keystone Cops kind of a thing. Well, because, yeah, because the Symbionese Liberation Army that took her were so over the top with their... I mean, most of the other groups at the time, and I mean, people have been talking about the Weather Underground and things like that, which were... And, and the, the Black Panther Party, which both of them at the time were not violent, militant groups in 1974. They were not about... Um, even though they were damaging um, property, perhaps, you know, the weather was, was blowing stuff up, there was a symbolic organization, more or less. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they designed it that way, that they didn't really want to kill anybody, they just wanted to make a statement. These people um, had already assassinated the school superintendent of San Francisco, right. Marcus Foster. Uh, they had um, started this underground unit, and there was only about maybe 10 of them total. Uh, and then when two of their leaders were arrested, uh, they decided to kidnap this heiress. And so as many groups at the time were talking about some kind of action, these people actually did that stuff. And then mm -hmm. they robbed banks, and they did it in this very theatrical way with these cyanide bullets, and they dressed up in uh, costumes and, and disguises and things like that. So mm -hmm. the whole thing had a lot of flair to it. And since the music of the time is some of the stuff that it's some of my favorite stuff. I mean, we're talking 1974 is the year that Funkadelic released Standing on the Verge of Getting It On. Right. And right. you've got, I mean, Gil Scott Heron and you've got, uh, you, you've just got some amazing stuff. Plus you've got some other, um, some other popular stuff at the time, which we've embraced a lot of different styles in this. We have some, mm -hmm. some, some songs that sound a little like ACDC and some songs <laughs> that sound a little like Carole King and okay. some Jim Croce and some other stuff of sort of the time. And uh, so we put some of that stuff together, and what we're doing next week is basically trying it out for the first time in front of an audience, just as a staged, fully staged reading with some choreography, some costumes, minimal production, but giving everybody a sense of what the 2010 production will look like, okay. essentially. And so what's the origin of the musical? As a, How did it become a musical? or? Just, uh, I guess, did you guys write it? Yes, I've, okay. I've written the, the songs. And, um, okay. you know, I, I, I brought in a, a friend to do, uh, Will Myers, who's a local, a great local sound designer. This is WCBN FM Ann Arbor, and, uh, I've just made a very unfortunate blooper and stopped the interview. I hate when that happens. What we've been talking about here before I so rudely interrupted ourselves was about a production of Patty Hearst, The Musical. That's going to be at the Blackbird Theater at 1600 Pauline Near Stadium, Friday and Saturday, January 23rd and 24th at 8 p.m. I'm going to try to get a little back on track here, but first of all, Barton Bund is one of the key figures in the Blackbird Theater. He is he and many other people at the Blackbird Theater are producing this. And here is an example of one of the songs that he and other people have created for Patty Hearst the musical. This is a demo tape that Barton Bund put together for the cast for them to work with. And Patty Hearst 
Patty Hearst's words seemed to work very well for a song that he wrote called I've Chosen to Stay and Fight. And we're going to listen to a little bit of that right now by Barton Bund. My love has changed I was nothing but a fool before It may sound strange But I don't love you anymore My love's expanded Look at the changes singing I've Chosen to Stay and Fight, a song that he wrote for Patty Hearst the Musical, performed by the cast in the production. And we're going to try to slip right back into the interview about where we were, and I will promise not to interrupt rudely again. Yeah, I mean, when she was first held hostage, she was, yeah, they, they, she was held at gunpoint. She was held in the closet. She was somebody who was an heiress to a fortune, mm-hmm. uh, living a pretty cushy life, I guess. Oh, yeah. Well, and living kind of a kind of kind of a, a mellow she was not a rich socialite you know she was living a pretty domestic existence with a guy mm-hmm. uh, Steve Weed who was her boyfriend at the time and who was kind of a we make a lot of fun of him I mean he was a little <laughs> bit older than she was he's kind of a, a doofus and he's, he's he had this very weird look he had these dark glasses and he had this mustache that went down over both lips and he had wow. he had this very <laughs> peculiar just sort of dorky air about him and so we, we and he also went underground to try to find her he went on his own little adventure, this unsuccess, and he wrote his own book. And so, the reason we make fun of him, the poor guy, he, she broke up with him in front of all of America. And um, so, in in a way, we, we he was so easy to make fun of. We just had no choice because um, he's 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 one of the people that tried to. A lot of people tried to get famous in connection with this thing. A lot of people tried to get a book deal out of this, oh, yeah. and he was one of them. <laughs> so we we kind of let him have it. Nobody gets away clean this, uh-huh. one, you know. Now, I guess another big character is the head of the Sabini's Liberation yes. Army. Yes, Sinq Matume, the fifth prophet. His real name was Donald DeFries. And he was a extremely charismatic leader who uh, had busted out of San Quentin and had found, uh, had taken refuge with some, some old friends who were sort of getting together and forming the, the basis of the Sibionese Liberation Army in those days. So mm-hmm. Tico, Yolanda, Jelena, Fahiza, Zoya, some of these guys, and plus Boanasi, who wound up in prison later. Um, these guys were living in a place called the Peking House, and they had a little underground unit going, and there were a bunch of other people hanging around, but when this guy moved in, a lot of people said, okay, he's an escaped convict, we gotta we gotta go, and so they left the house, uh, he was there, and he had a lot of sort of powerful rhetoric and, and ideas that were based in kind of Marxist thought that he'd, he'd gained in, in his prison time. I mean, he was kind of a small-time thief and, and murderer, and, and kind of kind of a, not a 
you know, nobody impressive, really. But in, mm-hmm. in his time in, in prison, really strengthened his resolve and his his political agenda and he had really nothing to lose and so he roped in a bunch of these folks and the rest of them um, are all college educated um, upper middle class hmm. white kids who wound up kind of disillusioned by the uh, the movement and wound up taking a very extreme radical leftist Marxist view and 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 decided to take action. They trained themselves in military, you know, action and and they got guns and they they learned how to blow things up and not always successfully. I mean, these people really didn't know what they were doing. They weren't much of an army. I mean, there was only about 11 of them. Mm-hmm. So how do you portray DeFreeze? Sympathetically is is the way we've tried to go with all of them because we've got to spend a lot of time with these people. And if these people are all going to follow him, He's got to be pretty persuasive, I would mm-hmm. think. And I've told all the actors, don't judge these characters ahead of time. Do not portray them as evil because that... They, gun-toting crazy people. Or yeah, something. well, yeah. they are gun-toting crazy people, <laughs> but they have to get along. And I think that the audience is... I mean, and there are so many funny circumstances. Like, they all shared a toothbrush. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, which is disgusting, but we also... But you have to laugh about something like that. Yeah. And so the the circumstances are so extreme, and the rhetoric and just the conversations that Patty describes in her book are very funny. And when we just get them up there and we present them as is, and we don't really have anything in the show that isn't factually based, I just couldn't... I couldn't. There was no room for anything else. Yeah. There's so much detail that happened in that cell. These people... I think you have to grow close to them, and I think there's a part of it... A lot of the actors came in and they said... Yeah, I, I don't think they're they're bad people. In fact, I kind of think sometimes they're right, and that's the thing. A lot of what they're saying about politics and about the state of the world, and a lot of it sounds fairly plausible. But then there's also this kind of Manson family side to it too. That right, is, right. so you get very close to these people, and I think it's awfully hard because you have to. I think you're still going to be feel fairly close to them as they're going out and they're robbing banks and they're shooting people and things like that. I think that it's a Bonnie and Clyde kind of. Situation. Yeah, the publicly, you hear terrible things. I mean, they assassinated. Uh, yeah, no, they really did bad, and I, I do believe that they are. These are these are these are crazy people. But at the same time, they had to spend a lot of time together, mm-hmm. waiting for things to happen, and yeah. getting along with each other. So there is a comradely thing that's happening, and I mean, there's also there are some. Ex- I mean, there is a real free love aspect of the 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 cell. I mean, they, they they did engage in that completely. I mean, they did everything except drugs, pretty much. Right. You know, mm-hmm. the sex and the violence was there. The drugs were not. Okay. So it's, I, I think in the course of being, when you live with people, you have to get along with them. And I mm-hmm. think they really did. And they had a closeness. And they and I think that closeness is kind of charming in a way. And Patty also had a lover while she was in the cell, a guy named Cujo, who was very sweet to her and they were very much in love as far as we know I mean Patty will later go on to write that she hated him and all this stuff but there's a kind of damning piece of evidence that comes mm-hmm. up later she's, she's testifying in court and saying I hated Cujo I, I, I couldn't stand being around him and yet when she was arrested she was wearing the little necklace that he'd given her Oh. So it's almost like, oh man, you know, it, it, it really, her story wasn't completely, it wasn't solid enough that a jury couldn't, you know, they convicted her for seven years. 
Mm-hmm. She didn't do seven years. She she got her her prison time is actually a real joke. I mean, she she was really her family pulled every string that they could, and she got out. And you know, it's justly she she was brainwashed, I believe. But we that's only my but but it's not as simple as that. Mm-hmm. You can never say it's just one way or the other. Nothing's really as simple as anything in this. Is no, there? no, it's really tough because then they tried to persuade her again once if she was brainwashed. Then when she got. When she was arrested, there was a whole other set of brainwashing that occurred. When the, the, the government doctors and lawyers and all this stuff got their hands on her, creating a plausible defense meant kind of brainwashing her all over again. Yeah. And getting so, her to believe everything that she believed before was was not really true. And so you're going to do a sequel musical based on the post? Uh, well, <laughs> we wrap it up. I mean, we, we do try to show you know some of the aspects of her prison life, and we, we, we do wrap it up. I think most of the story is concerned with a lot of the, 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 the events leading up to her arrest, and we, we have a, a trial scene and an interrogation and therapy sessions and things like that kind of happening. In a, a lot of this is through her, her eyes. I mean, that's she's the perspective that we have. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is fairly fast-paced. A little bit surreal, a little bit of a. It has the pace of kind of like a Scorsese film in terms of. It's just it's always flashing from one thing to the next, and time passes very quickly. So, what do you feel about all this? I'm having a ball. I'm having <laughs> a, an absolute blast with it, and um, I am. You know, it, it's a real risk. I, I was terrified going into the read through, and I'm still terrified before I go into each rehearsal because I'm so scared that something is going to go wrong, and then it's my fault. I'm I'm, I'm scared of of. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm scared of putting my, my, you know, I mean, putting your work out there in such a way, especially songs and, you know, the, the, to this extent, it really scares me a lot. But yeah. at the same time, I get in there, I see the actors making great choices with their characters. I see them, uh, you know, working out their, you know, harmonies and, and we really get together and jam on these songs. And I think, every, you know, we're, we're walking, we're coming out of rehearsal, people are humming, a, humming one of the tunes or something. And so I think mm-hmm. we're really... Because I feel I feel like it's working with this cast, I feel like it's probably going to work with an audience. I mean, I, I think that it's um, that's the test next week is seeing what what still has to happen and seeing what 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 the the full production is going to need. But for a staged reading, it's going to be pretty full. It's going to be very it's going to be a lot for the audience to take in. It's choreographed. It's staged. It's we're really throwing it together fast. But there's a lot of there's some great singers in this cast. There's a wonderful sort of sense of camaraderie that you can palpably feel. They're very connected up. There. So with the two weeks that we're rehearsing it, it's it's you know I think it's going to look pretty cool, um, and you know I, I still have to go in and I have to trust the original story. I just have to trust these circumstances. And if we really play these scenes mm-hmm. and we really play you know the facts of this story, I think that it we, we we just have faith in that, and that's a very reassuring thing. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks, Mike. It's Pandora's Lunchbox on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. What we've been talking about there is Patty Hearst and her abduction in 1974 by the Symbionese Liberation Army. And, well, why not make a musical out of it? Why not write 18 songs and produce a musical called Patty Hearst the Musical? Coming up next weekend, not this weekend, but next weekend, Friday and Saturday, January 23rd and 24th, Barton Bund, who we just heard, and the group at the Blackbird Theater are going to put together a production of Patty Hearst the Musical. What this will be is a sneak preview of a 2010 full production. This is going to be a fully staged reading. 
on Friday and Saturday, January 23rd and 24th. You can find out more about it by calling 734-332-3848. You can go to the website blackbirdtheater.org. And Blackbird Theater has been around for a while doing The Glob, as he mentioned earlier, now doing Patty Hearst the Musical. It's at 1600 Pauline, which is near Stadium in Ann Arbor. And again, that's blackbirdtheater.org. And you can call about that, find out about tickets and such at 332 3848, and that's a 734 area code. And, okay, what does it have to do with food? Well, there are about a million chapters. You could do an entire encyclopedia book series on the whole Patty Hearst abduction and the Symbionese Liberation Army, but initially the SLA issued an ultimatum to the Hearst family. Remember, Patty Hearst's father was the unredoubtable, if you can redoubt anybody like that, William Randolph Hearst, who was the inspiration for Citizen Kane. Rosebud! And uh, I hear I hear the voice of a man saying, uh, what was that again? Rosebud! Rosebud, that's right. And his daughter, Patty Hearst, abducted. Now, the SLA issued an ultimatum that they would release Patricia in exchange for the freedom of the two men who shot and killed the school superintendent in Oakland, California, Dr. Marcus Foster. When that proved impossible, the SLA demanded a ransom in the form of a food distribution program. The value of food to be distributed fluctuated from $4 million at one point to $400 million at another point. Although free food was actually distributed, the operation came to a halt when violence erupted at one of the four distribution points. It's all subject for a musical at the Blackbird Theater, the 23rd and the 24th. And the story of Patty Hearst has inspired many people and many musicians, including Camper Van Beethoven, who did a song called Tanya. Tanya was the name she adopted when she was with the SLA. And their song goes like this. is grand. It's so grand that this is not the song about Tanya at all. We're going to try to get that on in just a moment. This is Camper Van Beethoven and Love is Grand. And this is from an album called Our Beloved Revolutionary Sweetheart, which is what the SLA called Patty Hearst. So close enough.
From our beloved revolutionary sweetheart, that's the name of the album, named after Patty Hearst, which was the name given to her by the SLA, the Symbionese Liberation Army. That's Camper Van Beethoven, and that was Life is Grand. I should mention that the person who produced that album, his last name was Herring, also an important food reference. Now, things are disintegrating right now, but I do want to play you the song called Tanya by Camper Van Beethoven, but until I do, I'm going to do this. This is a story... From the ABC News, this is the headline, Cops Take Away Three-Year-Old Adolf Hitler. Police and child protection officials removed a three-year-old boy named Adolf Hitler and his two younger sisters, whose names also have Nazi connotations, from their New Jersey home. On Friday, officials from the New Jersey Division of Youth and Family Services took into protective custody Adolf Hitler Campbell, three, and his younger sisters, Joyce Lynn Aryan Nation Campbell, one, and Hans Lynn Hindler Jeannie Campbell, eight months, according to the Holland Township Police Department. It's a very strange world that we live in. Very, very Very strange and highly illogical. From far beyond the galaxies, I've journeyed to this place to study the behavior patterns of the human race. And I find them highly illogical. Girl meets boy. They fall in love. She says he's everything she's dreamed of. But when they get married, before he's aware, she changes his habits, the way he combs his hair. She changes him to someone he's never been, and then complains he's not like other men. Now really, I find this most illogical. Take the case of your automobiles. Greatest invention since man discovered wheels. Hydromatic overdrive, floor on the floor. Push button windows, push button doors. Double barrel carburetors rush you any place, but you never can find a parking space. Highly illogical. Take the case of modern man. He works all his life, gives it all he can. Saves all his money, works overtime, pinches every penny, banks every dime. All he can think about is money, but you know that he can't take it with him where he's going to go. Now I find that fascinatingly illogical. Now is the time to journey home, to tell of what I've learned. My people, I believe, have every right to be concerned. 
For in spite of computers and advanced psychology, behavior patterns are still a mystery. I predict the future of this earthly human race is that having made a mess of Earth, they'll move to outer space. Well, there goes the neighborhood. Totally, completely, absolutely, irrevocably, highly, illogical. WCBN and Leonard Nimoy, pretty much oh, those two are the same thing. Wrapping up now, Pandora's Lunchbox, and we're going to actually, to get out of here, we're going to bring you the Camper Van Beethoven song, Tanya, which is actually named after after uh, Patty Hearst. Well, Patty Hearst was named Tanya when she was abducted by the Symbionese Liberation Army in 1974. A reminder, it's Patty Hearst the Musical, a fully staged reading, uh, Friday and Saturday, January 23rd and 24th. You can find out about that at blackbirdtheater.org. Blackbird Theater is at 1600 Pauline, which is very close to stadium. This will be a sneak preview. This fully staged reading is a sneak preview of their 2010 full production of the musical Patty Hearst. Thank you. Oop, sorry for uh, almost hitting you. I, there That's you are. That's all right. I'm just trying to stick my head in here. Free Symbion. Thank you, Arwolf. Thank you. We're going to have going to free the faced music right now in just a second. And here is Camper Van Beethoven and Tanya. I lied before when I said I was going to play it. This is WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Face the music in a moment. Loving revolutionary sweetheart 
it's, it's an interlude. <laughs> it's a minute past 7 o'clock. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, 88.3 megahertz. We're the voice of the underground intellectual resistance movement. Experimental radio from the U of M, run by students, infiltrated by workers, poets, philosophers, and creeps. It's a great skip, isn't it? Tonight on Face the Music, we're going to address uh, things like extremely